Welcome to the fifth and final week of our, our series, Heaven. And we have been for several weeks now studying what the Bible, God's Word, has to say about heaven. But the truth is, we've only scratched the surface. And I just want to remind you that there are some ways to dig deeper. If you would like to do that, I would recommend some books that I've mentioned before. Uh, Randy Alcorn's book that is just entitled Heaven is probably the most comprehensive and readable book that is available right now. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata's book, Heaven, Your Real Home, is also a very, very helpful book. And if you want to take an even deeper, a little more scholarly, academic dive, uh, you might check out Alistair McGrath's book, A Brief History of Heaven, and then also the, the Heaven section, which isn't that long, in Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, which actually is very, very long, that book, but it would be a great book to have in your library. You know, in recent years, there have been lots and lots and lots of more books that have been published about heaven, written about heaven, and the truth is many of them are not nearly so helpful. And the most common and popular books out there are what I would call that time I went to heaven books, uh, where people tell a story, um, uh, give an account of supposedly a visit they made to heaven, um, and there are books like 90 Minutes in Heaven or Proof of Heaven, or uh, maybe the most popular in recent years, Heaven is for Real, which was also made into a movie. And some of you have seen that movie, and there's one intriguing part of the movie that you may remember. This little boy, Colton Burpo, who, who almost died and who began to talk about an experience that he said he haven't had. He's just four years old. Um, ends up being interviewed by a reporter. And this reporter um, asked a number of questions, and one of the questions she asked him was, what does heaven look like? And Colton replied, like here, but even more beautiful. Now, I don't know if Colton really went to heaven, but that description of heaven, like here, but even more beautiful, is actually a pretty good summary of what the Bible says. Now, we're going to be wrapping our series up today by looking at Revelation chapter 21 and 22, the two chapters in the Bible that say more about heaven than any others. They're actually the last two chapters of the Bible. I want to start by reading several verses from the beginning of Revelation 21. And you might want to get your Bible open uh, to that. And as you listen, I want to encourage you to use your imagination and just try to put yourself in John's shoes. The Apostle John is the author of Revelation, and at this time he is in exile on the island of Patmos. He's an old man, and if you've read through the book of Revelation, you know that the chapters preceding this uh, are, are about all these dangers that were ahead for persecuted Christ followers in the first century. And John describes these uh, dangers symbolically, and there's some really horrible imagery there, like dragons and these strange, strange beasts and these awful plagues where all kinds of people die. But then finally, in Revelation 21, verse 1, he writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer NEC. Now, I want to hit pause here because we're in California, and that sounds pretty terrible to most of us who live in this state, right? No sea? How could there be no sea? But you need to remember, again, John is, is using symbolic language, and to first century readers, the sea, the ocean, represented chaos. 
the sea was a place that was dangerous and it was terrifying and no one went to the beach recreationally to work on their tan in the first century. They only went to the ocean because they had to, because they, they needed to engage in trade and commerce. The sea was about drowning and tidal waves and destruction. And so another way of saying, this is another way of just saying there is no more death, no more death. Verse 2 says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Now let's just pause for a minute. Isn't that an amazing, stunning incredibly beautiful description such gorgeous words i, I want to drill down into this but first i want to focus your attention on one single phrase it's in verse five and god says in this phrase i am making all things new let's just say that out loud together those five words i am making all things new it's actually six words i can't count um but he says, I am making all things new. Not, notice, I am making all new things. I want you to hear that. Not all new things. You see the difference? And, and I think for years, I'll give my experience, but I think it's true for many of us. Uh, I, I kind of thought that's what the Bible said, that one day God was going to make all new things. He was going to burn the earth up totally, obliterate it, take it out of existence, destroy it forever, and then start all over with all new things. And then those things wouldn't really be like this earth. They'd be shadowy. They'd be cloudy. They'd be foggy. They'd be ethereal, disembodied. But that's not what God says. God says, I am making all things new. All things new. In other words, as we have been saying, and I want to emphasize this again, God is going to take what is good about the earth that he created, and that is the point, the earth that he created. He's going to take the things that you love, and he is going to redeem and restore those things. And we know this in part because that's what God did with Jesus that first Easter. God took Jesus' dead body and made it new. He didn't destroy it. He just made it new. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the first fruits of the life that is to come. He is a foretaste of what God is going to do with our bodies and also with this earth. You see, one day God is going to take this corrupted planet and he is going to make it new. He's going to restore it and redeem it. And this is what we've been discovering in our series, that God is going to make things the way he intended them to be before sin entered the world and entered the creation and broke things and corrupted things. We've been hearing that each week, and I want you to hear it again. And I just remind us, when we think of heaven, we shouldn't be thinking of clouds and fog and harps and 
just sitting around in quiet. When we think of heaven, we would be better off if we think of the most awesome things that we know of on our planet that God has created and begin to imagine from there. I mean, for me, I, I, I think of the Grand Canyon and, and Niagara Falls, and I think of Yosemite Half Dome, Yosemite Falls, 2,425 feet falling, that water just crashing down. I think of the Pacific Ocean. I think of the Sierras. I, I think of orange blossoms, because I grew up in Southern California. I, I, think of, I think of pine forests. I think of beautiful sunsets. And you would have your own list, some of the places that you have experienced in God's creation, I'm sure. And, and I want you to understand that tug that all of us feel toward that kind of beauty. And, and by the way, just a little side note, if you don't feel a tug toward that kind of beauty, that's a sign of something that's amiss. And what I would probably say needs to happen for you is you need to get outside. <laughs> you need to get out of the office. You need to stop watching the TV. You need to stop sitting in front of your computer or sitting holding your phone. You need to get outside because something's wrong if that doesn't draw you and if it doesn't, it doesn't move you, the beauty that God has made. And, and you need to know that pull we feel toward that kind of beauty, it's not just um, an appreciation for nature. It is actually, listen, a longing for the new earth. Do you know what that longing is? Let me tell you. It is homesickness. Homesickness. It is a longing for a place that you've never been yet. But your core of your being knows that is where I belong. You know. And I want you to see today that this, I am making all things new, includes you. It includes you. And, and this is what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time together. I want you to see from Revelation 21 and 22, four aspects of the you that you will become, what you will be like in heaven, your future, your destiny, four ways that God will make us new. So go ahead and write this first one down. Number one, we will be totally healed. You see, the day is coming when God will heal you completely, and that means everything broken and painful and wounded in you and around you will be made whole. Listen again to verse 4 of chapter 21, one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Doesn't that image... Every time you hear it, just touch you really deeply. Do you know why when we hear those words, it just goes right down to our bones? Why? It's because one of the first needs that a human being has in life, when a little baby is born and it's hungry or it's thirsty or it's wet or tired or afraid or in pain, that baby's parents will do everything they can to dry that baby's tears. You know, one of the first interactions that you had with any human being is someone saying to you, it's okay, it's okay, I know, I know. You ever notice how everybody says that to babies? I know, it's okay. It's sort of like, just like what Dan and I did a couple of days ago with our granddaughter, Lily, <laughs> who just turned two months on Friday. I thought this was a very appropriate place for a sermon illustration right here. So I wanted to share that with you. And we said to her, 
I know, I know, it's okay, it's okay. I mean, and, and her parents were saying that to her too because that's what we say, right? That's what we all say to babies because we want to comfort them. And, we, and we, we sing to babies, right? We sing babies' lullabies that are supposed to bring peace to their hearts. Have you ever noticed some of our lullabies have strange words? I was looking some up, and I don't even want to go to some of the lullabies they sing in other cultures because they have things about, like, wolves coming and stealing the baby away. That helps you sleep at night. You know, monsters and stuff like that. Well, we sing things like, you know, when the bow breaks, the baby will fall, and the baby will break bones, and, you know, and maybe be crippled for life. I mean, you know, down will come baby, cradle and all. How is that supposed to help? You ever wondered that when you sing that song? It's like, it's a good thing they don't know, you know, English at that <laughs> stage of their lives. But you know, the truth is one day, one day we all get to a certain age, and for some of us it's sooner than others, and we realize sometimes the bow breaks. Sometimes bad things happen, right? And there are some hurts that will not be healed, at least not in this life. And some of you know that more deeply than others of us. Some of you lost a parent when you were a young child. That's been your life story. Some of you, you had a parent just walk out, never to be in your life again. And others of us have experienced other kinds of tragedies and pains. And you know, we can read books that deal with grief and, and deal with abandonment, and we can go to counseling, and I would recommend all of those things, but there is always an ache in the heart for some things that just will not go away. And it may never go away until the day that we die. But Romans 8.18 makes one of the most staggering claims made anywhere in the Bible. Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And, and notice, not just the glory that will be revealed in, uh, uh, to us, but the glory that will be revealed in us. And you can just make a little list of the sufferings of this present time, war and famine and violence and loss and cancer, pain and death and on and on. And, and Paul is not being glib and superficial here because Paul was not writing these words in comfort. Paul suffered probably more than any of us would ever suffer in this world. Paul had been beaten and stoned and whipped and imprisoned and shipwrecked. He'd been left for dead more than once. Paul knew something about suffering more than any of us. And he's the one who wrote, not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And this is the word of God. Amen? See, Paul says the glory that is to come is so overwhelming. That if you could somehow put it on a scale, and then on the other side of the scale, put all the, the present sufferings of this present day, war and violence and, and, and all kinds of things that we experience in this life, disease and sickness and famine. If you could put them on each side of the scale, the glory and the suffering, the suffering wouldn't even register on the scale. You, you can't compare it. And Paul says, 
we need to understand that. Every aching heart one day will be made whole. Every emotional wound will be healed. No more tears because sadness will be gone. And not through denial and not through ignorance, but because God will set everything right and you will be totally healed for all of eternity. Does that sound good to anybody else this morning? One day God himself, he's going to wipe away those tears that have never fully dried. He's going to completely heal that hurt in your life for good. He will make all things new. And I want you to look beyond yourself, too, because this doesn't just mean emotionally. This is also telling us something bigger than that. It also says about the tree of life at the beginning of, of chapter 22, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. This just tells us that all racial and national and ethnic divisions will go away one day and every individual within all of those nations, they will be thoroughly, completely healed. I want you to just get personal right here for just a moment and think right now about what you know to be your deepest hurt, your worst loss, your incurable wound, whether it's physical or emotional, See, the biblical hope is not that when you become a Christ follower, everything just goes away and you from there on get a free pass from suffering. The biblical hope is that you can trust God today, right now, in this moment, in this room, in your seat where you sit, and you can take your broken heart to him, and today you can keep obeying him, and tomorrow morning you can get up and you can live your life trusting him because one day you know one day you know that God himself will hold you close as his child, his son or his daughter, and God will wipe every tear from your eyes. He will say to you, it's okay. I know. He will make everything right. And friends, I'm telling you today, it will happen. It is going to happen. And it gets even better than that as we keep reading uh, the second aspect of your destiny might surprise you and some of you are going to really love this we will be incredibly productive the bible teaches that this may surprise some of us because i think probably the number one fear that people express about eternity in heaven is that it will be what boring now another side note not in my notes but i just have to say this shows how the world and its system has just totally turned us upside down. Do you know who the most boring creature in the world is? His name is Satan. The most interesting, interesting person, personage, being in the world is the triune God who created all the things in this world that are so fascinating and interesting. But we get it all turned around. And we think stories about good people are boring. We're, we're so confused. I don't want to go down any farther on that one. But this is a fear people have. Heaven's going to be boring. In fact, there, there was this story about these two friends, huge baseball fans, and they had this discussion all through their lives where they asked themselves a question. They were just wondering, will there be baseball in heaven? It's an important theological point to consider. Because these two guys knew that if there were not any baseball in heaven, they would not be happy. And so they made a pact. If one of them went first, the other one would do everything he the one who went first would do everything he could to get back to the second one and tell him, you know, is there baseball in heaven? Let him know. And one of them went first. And sure enough, 
in a time of some kind of prayer. He kind of visited his friend. It's a story, okay? Um, and his friend said, well, is there baseball in heaven? And his buddy said, I have good news and bad news. The good news is there is baseball in heaven. The bad news is you're pitching on Friday. So we wonder, is it going to be boring? You know, some of us think, is heaven going to be like an eternal retirement village? Dear God, I hope not. <laughs> Are we going to sing all the time? And we've talked about this before, but I want you to look at a verse, Revelation 22, verse 5. At the end of the verse, just one phrase I want to unpack, and I want you to say it out loud with me, would you? And they will reign forever and ever. What does that mean? Well, sometimes... I think people think it means, oh, you get to sit on a throne, which actually sounds kind of boring, and you just sit there, and you sort of wait for stuff to happen, and of course, we all know nothing ever happens in heaven, and so you're just sitting there like a stone for all of eternity, but that's not what it means. Well, what does it mean? Well, if you go back to the beginning of the Bible, back to Genesis, way back in the garden, God created mankind, and he said we were created in his image, and he said we were made to what? Do you remember? We were made to have dominion over the earth. We were to rule and reign in cooperation with him. We were to be co-regents, and that was the Garden of Eden. That was God's original plan. And in other words, even in a perfect environment, we were made to work to be fruitful, to be productive, to reign. And that is why every single one of us has this need to contribute, this need to do worthwhile work, this desire to be creative. And see, the Bible says that God-given desire will not vanish in heaven. Instead, it will be fully expressed. It will never be frustrated. It will expand and grow for all eternity in heaven. Your gifts, your abilities, who God made you to be, what God put in you, will be fully realized in heaven. Well, let me show you a few verses and, and just watch this. Revelation 21, 24 says, And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And this is referring to the new Jerusalem. And what does this mean? Well, you know, you go to any museum and you see the splendor of kingdoms, the art uh, the artifacts, the glory, the creativity. And it's interesting, many museums like those in Europe are themselves amazing pieces of creativity. And a number of them are palaces, like the Louvre, which itself was a palace, a part of a, the splendor of a kingdom. And the book of Revelation teaches that the splendor, the best parts of this earth will be part of the new earth. And we could expand this in so many ways. But I'll give one example. I I think this means there will be better Beethovens and better Beatles and better Biebers. Dear God, yes, for all you believers. <laughs> and if you don't like him, then better Beyonce's. I mean, you get the point. Um, in heaven, your gifts, your abilities will finally be fully actualized. In heaven, you will be involved in the beautiful words of one writer in ceaseless creative activity with Jesus and his friends. How does that sound? Maybe Jesus will say, Bob, what do you think we ought to do? And Bob will answer with creative, unique genius, wisdom, and insight. Well, of course, I'm not omniscient, but I think, and if that's you, you'll say whatever you think. And maybe Jesus will say, that's a great idea. Why don't we do that? 
will be incredibly productive. Uh, Dallas Willard is this incredible philosopher, Christian theologian, puts it like this, and there's big words coming. I'm warning you ahead of time, okay? You will know fullness of function, the unending creativity involved in a cosmos-wide cooperative pursuit of a created order that continually approaches but never reaches the limitless goodness and greatness of the triune personality of God. Who wants to sign up for that seminar? <laughs> That's what we're going to do. I Isaiah 65, the end of that amazing prophecy, paints some great pictures of, of eternity. Listen to this. This is verses 17 and then 25. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. And what will we do there? Well, they will build houses and dwell in them. And won't those be some amazing houses? They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And not just eat the fruit. How about this? This is Isaiah 25, verse 6. On this mountain, and this referring to Jerusalem and the end of time, when God brings it all together, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food. Rich food. Not low-sodium, taste-free, calorie-free food. Rich food. And it's going to be for all peoples. And it's going to be a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. And some of you are like, now we're talking. This is heaven, right? <laughs> you know, it really surprises a lot of people to see how when the Bible describes heaven, it's so physical, so material. But don't forget, who made the material? Who created this world? It is God. It is God. Uh, C.S. Lewis, um, who's such a help in so many ways um, on this subject, in the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia, he's writing, he's trying to capture the glories of, of eternity. And here's what he writes uh, when the characters in his story die and their, their life in heaven begins. He writes, the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all live happily ever after, but for them it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world had only been the cover and the title page, and now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Don't you love that? Totally healed incredibly productive and it just keeps getting better how will god make us new here's the third way we will be perfectly holy we will be morally flawless now some of you might say well that doesn't sound really exciting but just quick show of hands stop and think about it how many of you have at least one bad habit in your life that you would like to change please raise your hand right now let me see now some of you may not have raised your hand how many of you uh, would like to raise your hand on behalf of the person sitting next to you because they have a really doozy of it. <laughs> you know, I started pastoring over 30 years ago. And, you know, sometimes back then, I, I think I kind of thought that by the age, that by the time I got to the age that I am now, which is my early 40s, um, <laughs> that, what? <laughs> I thought I might pretty much have this you know, whole discipleship and following Christ thing kind of nailed. That I would be completely mature and all the spiritual struggles I had back then would not be issues now. Well, how wrong I was. 
And maybe you sometimes feel like me. Does it ever bother you that your spiritual growth path seems so slow? And sometimes it seems like it's not going anywhere. How hard it is. How, how slow sometimes it feels growing in Christ. Sometimes it's like, am I really getting anywhere? Well, guess what? The Bible says you do get there. You will. Look at Revelation 21, verse 22. This is so interesting. Uh, it says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, now what does this mean? Well, again, you have to put yourself back in the shoes of someone in the first century, maybe reading this for the first time. Many of them would have been Jews. And for the Jews, the temple, it, it was the place where the Holy of Holies was, the place where people went to meet God. It was a sacred place, this, this place set apart, and they could not imagine life without it. It was so important. But now John the Apostle, who is Jewish himself, is saying there's no temple. Why? Because there's no need for a temple in heaven. Because there's no distance between God and us. Why? Because we're perfect. We're holy as God is perfect. We're holy as God is holy. His dwelling place is with us. And so when God is saying, I'm making all things new, that includes you. That includes you. I mean, just think about some of the ramifications of this. You will have a new mind. And the only thoughts that will ever pass through your mind will be thoughts that are noble and good. You will have a new mouth. How many of you cannot wait to get a new mouth? <laughs> Where the only things you ever say will be things that are uplifting and encouraging. I mean, how many times do we say things and as soon as we say them, we wish we could have them back? You will have a new heart, a new heart, and your new heart will love God and will love other people as effortlessly as your physical heart now beats. It will just happen. You will just do it. It will never stop. You will always be loving, and, and this will all be part of your new nature. I mean, isn't that amazing? Isn't that good? Aren't you looking forward to that? Uh, there's one other set of images and this, this set shows the fourth thing that God will make new. We will be completely fulfilled. Completely fulfilled. I want you to listen to verses 1 and 2 of Revelation 22. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of this city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, and we'll get back to that, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month now again you have to imagine that picture imagine what this meant to people living in this day who lived in this this very very dry region of the middle east not much water crops harvested like only once a year if that it was a culture of scarcity and so the picture that is being painted here can be simply stated like this there is no want Water flows ceaselessly. The harvest happens ceaselessly. No long months without rain or water or fresh food or fresh food. No scarcity. And this is so huge for us today, even though we have not only enough food, we have too much food. Somebody ought to say amen about that one, right? Because we all know it. <laughs> it's huge for us today because our lives 
really are this just crazy chase after contentment, aren't they? I have a question for you this morning. Think about this. Who is more content, the man with 12 children or the man with $12 million? And the answer is the man with 12 children because he does not want any more. And our lives are just this constant battle, right, for contentment. And we have a God-given appetite for life. And, and little babies are born with this appetite for life, but it gets junked up by sin. And, and we find ourselves, all of us do, thinking more and more and more would somehow be enough, but it never is. But we still think it will be more money, more intimacy, more pleasure, more security, more beauty. We want and we want, but it's never enough. And some of you are here today, and you are deeply, discontent in some area of your life and some of you today are tempted to try to satisfy an appetite right now in a way that is not honoring to god some of you are discontent relationally and you're so close to walking over some sexual boundaries and you know it's wrong maybe some of you you've already crossed those lines you've gone past those boundaries maybe many times or maybe you're here and you just kind of feel this general sense of emptiness and you would do anything to try to feel that emptiness, fill it up, shopping or eating or overworking or something. And here's what you need to hear today. Following Christ means that you will have to say no to some of these desires right now. And that's what some of you need to do. That's why some of you came here today to hear what I just said. Some of you need to decide right now that there are some desires in my life that I want to gratify. There are some desires that I want to fulfill, but it would dishonor God. It would be destructive to my family. It would destroy me. It would damage God's church. And so I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. Will, will you do that? Will you decide right now? And here's the basis. Here, here's Here's the motivation for you to do that. The Bible is telling us if we do that, there is hope for us because we know that one day, the day is coming when we will be completely satisfied. Just think of this picture of the future, of eternity. I mean, all that we've looked at over this morning, does it remind you of anything you've ever seen before? Well, if you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, and the Bible starts way back in Genesis... And people are placed in a place called the Garden of Eden, right? Right at the center of the garden was a, anybody remember? A tree. And what was it called? It was called the Tree of Life. But then we know the Bible story is because of rebellion, because of sin, that perfection was shattered and we were forbidden access to the Tree of Life. Death entered the world. But think about it. What do we see here at the end of the Bible? It says on each side of the river stood the tree of what? Tree of life. And the big idea here and what you need to know is will help you to understand what heaven and eternity is about is that the Bible comes full circle. It all comes back to what God did in the beginning. We are back. We are back in heaven, in the garden again, living with God again. We have the tree of life again. Quick show of hands here. Um, anybody uh, remember Woodstock? Um, they say that if you remember Woodstock, you weren't there. 
Uh, some of you heard that. I'm actually talking here about the song Woodstock, and it's kind of interesting. If you remember it, the part of the lyrics say, we are stardust, we are golden, we are trapped in the devil's bargain. We have got to get ourselves back to the garden. Now, the song gets that longing right. But what it gets wrong is what we human beings, beings always get wrong, and that is we cannot ever get ourselves back to the garden. And the reason is, we're the reason we're not in the garden. The good news, though, the Bible teaches that God wants to get us back to the garden, and God went to incredible lengths to make that possible. I want you to hear this invitation. Revelation 22:17, almost the very last verse in the whole Bible. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I want you to listen to that very carefully. Does it say, let the one who works real hard to prove themselves worthy? No. It says, let anyone who hears, let anyone who wishes, let anyone who wants it, if you're thirsty, are you thirsty? Then just come and drink. Come and drink. And the reason that that offer can be made, the reason that we can do that is because Jesus has already paid the price for our sins. Jesus has already died to make all things right. Jesus has opened the gate of life again by giving his life on the cross. You see, God's goal is not to bring us into the land of clouds and fog and, you know, floating around forever in heaven disembodied spirits. God's goal is to bring you back to the garden, to a material, physical creation, thoroughly healed, a perfectly holy garden. God's goal is to redeem and to restore, to make things the way he originally created them all to be. And that, friend, is our future. It is your future if you know Jesus Christ. If you are in relationship with Jesus Christ. A couple things as we wrap this up. First, if you know Jesus Christ, I hope that in addition to savoring the future as much as you can, that you will become, because of this series, a person who is more committed than ever to help everyone you know know what you know. That's why we did Who's Your One? See, if heaven is as wonderful a place as the Bible says it is, don't you want everyone you know and care about to go there with you? And it doesn't mean lecturing. It means loving. It means praying for people. It means meeting people where they are. It means helping them on, on the journey. And, you know, one of the key steps just might be inviting them to become a part of what goes on here at Southwinds, maybe by coming with you on a Sunday sometime. Maybe it would be great to invite them to your life group. Maybe you'd want to invite someone to the fall breakfast to hear the 
49ers Super Bowl champion, especially if they're a Raiders fan. They would really benefit from that. Um, but you could invite someone to be with you, and you could be part of something that, that changes someone's destiny eternally. You really could. And then second, maybe you want this future, but maybe you're not sure that you're really going there. And maybe you want to settle the issue today, and the Bible says it's so very simple. You simply accept this invitation, and I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment, and maybe this will help you to voice the longings of your heart where you can settle this issue. And then this afternoon, we're going to be baptizing, and maybe God is going to lead some of you to take this step of trusting Jesus today and then follow through with that this afternoon, today, and be baptized. I want you to remember back to the beginning of the message what Colton, what Colton said in Heaven is for Real. He said that heaven's like here, only more beautiful. And we said you could think of the best ocean scene, the waterfall scene, the mountain scene, whatever Whatever comes to your mind, only it's more beautiful, and that's the glory of heaven. And so I want you just to think, think of maybe the most loved that you've ever felt. A moment maybe with your mom or your dad, or maybe with a spouse. Maybe on your wedding day. Maybe it was that one day you held someone's hand, and you looked in their eye, and you knew that you were unconditionally loved. You see, heaven, heaven is like that, only better only forever and it's even more beautiful than we could imagine i want to invite you would you bow your